Welcome back to another episode of Mission Moments. My name is Levi Hilton, and I'm super excited about our guest today, Jared McKay. Jared, tell us about yourself. Nice to meet you guys. Thank you, Levi, for inviting me on this. So um, I'm Jared McKay, 22 years old, studying advertisement here at BYU. I've been home from the mission now for like five or six months. So after high school, I did a year here at BYU, went on the mission. I'm back now. I'm from Northern California, Chico, California. So it's by Chico State, if you guys have ever heard of that. Chico State. Uh-huh. But my family actually just moved. When I got back from the mission, now we live in Lake Tahoe, California. So kind of a little different. It's a lot colder over there. But it's fun going back for Thanksgiving and stuff, lots of skiing. So You're a skier? Yeah. I'm not, maybe not the best out there, but I can hold my own. Hey, Tahoe's so. a good place to do it. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully it'll get better. <laughs> Well, Jared, um, awesome. We're super excited to have you on, super excited to hear your stories. I've heard that Jared has some insanely amazing stories and that he had a great experience. Thank you, yeah. So we're excited <laughs> to hear about it. Well, Jared, um, where did you serve? When did you serve? What was your experience like? Let mm-hmm. us know. So I served um, in two missions because of COVID. So I started off in Austin, Texas, and I was there for about like five months. And then I had like a year and a half, a little bit over that, in Brazil. I served in Belang, Brazil. So it's northern Brazil. Okay. Um, a little bit of a geography lesson because Brazil is really big. Nobody really knows where that is. <laughs> right. <laughs> so there's, in the northern part of the country, there's Manaus, which is like the Amazonas state. And then right next to Manaus, there's Pará and Amapá, which are like pretty much, if you see where like the Amazon River connects to the ocean, mm-hmm. right there is where Belang is, the city is. But then the mission kind of covers a, a bunch of states all around that area. And it goes all the way pretty much to close to Manaus. Mm-hmm. Um, so pretty big mission. Pretty much all of northern Brazil is either Manaus or Beling. That's where it's divided. So is it more, were more of the missions, like, did you serve more in the city or was it more, like, along the Amazon? Or is that part of the city as well? Yeah. So a little bit of both. So the city is on the Amazon. Okay. But there are, most of the areas are in more, like, rural places. Cool. In the state. So I served part of my mission, part of the time in Brazil, in Beilang, the actual city. And that was really different than some other areas I served in. Um, like our mission transfer is usually by plane or by boat. So like one of the areas you had to take a two-hour plane flight and then you take a 12-hour uh, boat ride up the Amazon. Holy cow. So a bunch of the cities were just kind of like along the river there. Um, it's definitely like very different a little bit nicer than you might expect depending on the area like the city Beilang itself is pretty pretty nice in some areas but then once you get to like the more rural areas it's pretty different um it's but people are super nice really fun place lots of cool animals cool food cool fish cool so cool, cool, cool. yeah i love it there but it was a great honestly i loved my mission there um both missions were like super significant to me but I think I have, like, a special place in my heart for Brazil the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I know, like, some missionaries that had their assignments weren't able to make it down to the original assignment. It was a really meaningful experience. Um, but for me, it was really, really impactful that I was able to make it down. A little bit because of, like, the history of myself with that mission call. So, like, I, I got this mission call actually not my freshman year of college. So when I was in high school... Um, I decided to serve a mission. It was kind of a crazy senior year for me. Uh-huh. Um, so that year, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the Paradise Campfire. Mm-mm. So in 2018, um, this is November of 2018, there was, a, there was a huge forest fire that happened in Northern California. And it was the most deadly and destructive in U.S. history. Oh, wow. And that was in Paradise, California. And that's where I grew up, oh, in wow. that town of Paradise. 
And so that happened my senior year of high school. So we were all at school when that happened. And it was just kind of a, it was a crazy day. So there's a bunch of documentaries on it and stuff. Um, I mean, it's kind of older news now, but it was a pretty, at the, at the time, it was a pretty significant event. And so a bunch of us had to, well, the entire city had to relocate. Um, I mean, in the fire, 18,000 homes burned down. Um, there's significant loss. And so pretty much 30,000 people had to relocate in one day because in six hours, the entire city got destroyed. Holy cow. And so I was there when that happened. And then that whole senior year afterward was just kind of a crazy, a crazy year for me and my family. Um, yeah, I can only imagine. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it was pretty, and I think one of the things that like, I, I had a couple of LDS friends um, and all of us were kind of thinking about serving missions. And so I kind of wanted to as well. I guess for me, like serving a mission was never anything that I like didn't want to do. Like I always wanted to do it. My dad served a mission. He served in Brazil as well, actually oh, wow. in Sao Paulo. And so I think one of the things I kind of held on to that whole year was like, okay, well, in the end, I'm going to go serve a mission. I mean, it didn't really matter what was going on at the time. Uh-huh. We were kind of like relocate, all this crazy stuff going on. Um, crazy high school situation, obviously. And so towards the end of that school year, I decided to put my mission papers in. And so I submitted my papers and I got my mission call and it was to Bailing, Brazil. Okay. So that was the mission call I got. And I still remember my graduation um, which we didn't have a high school when the fire happened. We had to go to this like warehouse by an airport, another, another city called Chico, which is where my family moved to afterward. Right. Um, I remember I was wearing on my, my cap walking in the graduation. You can see the picture of me with like Beilang, uh, 19 to 21 on the cap. Huh. And so I was super pumped to go Honestly, I was so excited. I think combination of a lot of things, like I was excited that, my dad served in Brazil. Excited to just kind of like go on a mission, I guess. Right. Um, and the only issue was kind of from that year, and not that this justifies anything, I had had, I'd been struggling with some personal things um, kind of after me and all my friends after the fire had happened. Uh-huh. And so we we're all kind of like dealing with some things and all of us trying to figure out, you know, if we'd go on missions still, when we'd go on missions and all that. Right. And I only had about three weeks till I had to go on my mission. This is kind of getting to summer of 2019, I guess. Um, I was about to go. And then I think, I don't know what it was. I, I mean, obviously, I think it was a spirit, but something just like told me that I wasn't ready to go at the time. That I still had to work through some things. And that was obviously a really scary thing. I think for anybody kind of coming to terms with that yeah, and like accepting that is really challenging because there's a lot of, not necessarily stereotypes, but a lot of expectations that we have to serving missions. And so when you kind of break that trend, especially when other people are going out and stuff, um, you kind of feel as if you're getting judged. Even if that's not necessarily happening, I think that's just kind of natural to feel that way sometimes, just kind of like all eyes on you. So I didn't want to talk about anything, but I just like couldn't every single day I'd wake up and I just could not, you know, come to terms with the fact that I'm leaving in three weeks to the mission. And I had already bought like most of my stuff to go serve there. And I was all, bags were already pretty much packed. I was, had my ticket to go to the MTC down in Sao Paulo. And then super last minute, I mean, a few weeks late before I left, I decided to go talk to the bishop and work through some things. So I went and talked to him. And at the time, I don't know what I thought, but I just thought he'd be like, all right, like, let's just hang on for a sec. Like, give it a month or so. And revelation to him. At the time, I honestly I have to admit, I was a little bit upset about it. But looking back, I know it was all part of God's plan. Uh-huh. He said that I wouldn't be allowed to go on my mission, that they're just going to take away the call. And then I just go go to college, and then we talk about it sometime in the future. Oh, wow. And to me, that was, like, catastrophic. That was so sad to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
And so um, I last minute went to college, super, super last minute. Honestly, a lot of miracles that I even was able to get here at BYU, get into Healing Halls. And so um, in the beginning of my, my time here at BYU, I was honestly pretty frustrated because like every day I was like, I should be in Bailing, Brazil right now. I shouldn't be here right now, you know? And over time, though, I kind of started to see you know, the hand of the Lord and how it was really part of his plan that it went that way. And so I remember I came back home for Christmas break that freshman year of college. Uh-huh. And when I got there, I met with my stake president because he kind of wanted to talk things over, just kind of figure out, you know, tentatively when, we, when I could go back on my mission, right? And so I met with him and talked with him. And kind of the original idea was like, I'd do a year of college and we'd figure it out kind of thing. Right. And he told me, in that conversation, he said, I have a very strong prompting that you need to submit your papers and go on the mission right now. And to me, that was like kind of surprising because that was not part of my game. I mean, most that those last six months, honestly, last year and a half, ever since the fire happened, kind of felt like so many things like I, I didn't feel like I had a plan ever. It was kind of like so many things changing. Sure. But one thing I did know is I wanted to go on the mission. That was kind of my priority over everything. So I talked to my family and I said some of my papers right then. I had already been like, I already had my classes for winter semester and everything, but I was like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to submit my papers. And I decided after talking it over, I was going to submit my papers and put my date a day after winter semester ended. Wow. Okay. So as soon as I possibly could, I was going to go, right? Uh-huh. Walk straight from Hillman Hall to MTC. There we go. <laughs> and so I submit my papers, put my availability date uh, for after the semester. And I talked to my... Um, my stake president was like, so how does this work? Like, do I get called back to the same mission? Do they like know, like, are they going to call, how does this work? And he just told me that it's like pretty much like a regular mission call just over again. Cause it's not like they're keeping track of every single person or what exactly happened. So sure. I just get like called again to mission could be completely different. You know what I mean? Probably would be different. Uh-huh. Um, Cause it's essentially a completely new mission call. Right. And so I submit my papers and I just waited for the mission call, and I was really nervous. And at that point, I didn't care that much where I would go. I just was happy to go on the mission. Right. Obviously, I was excited if I could somehow go back to Brazil, but I wasn't expecting it at all at this point. Yeah, that would have been tricky of, like, you knew you were going to go to Brazil, but now you're getting another call. It could be somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Just kind of all those expectations yeah. changing, you know? Yeah, wow. And so about three weeks after that, I got my mission call again. I got in the mail and that was like probably one of the most like nerve wracking days of my life. You know, you're just yeah. like, I mean, most people get it once and it's excited. I, I mean, I got the Ben Fi, I had it yeah, two twice. times. You're, you're right? lucky, you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I sat there and I decided to open it by myself. You know what I mean? I was just kind of like, cause it was a very personal thing for me at, at that point. Mm-hmm. And so I opened my mission call and honestly, I just started to cry cause it was exactly the same mission, bailing Brazil. The second time again, so I got re- I got assigned to the same exact mission I'd been called to almost a year before, and so that was just super special for me, you know, to know that Heavenly Father really knows all the details. And then the crazy thing about the call though was I had put my availability date for like a day after the semester ended. And I think that was probably around like uh, the end of April, that April twenty sixth right. or twenty seventh, something like that. Sure, um, we'll say April twenty sixth. It, it was close to then. Okay. And I got my mission call for March 15th. And no even though I put my availability after, they gave me my mission call way, pre- like, way prematurely. I've never heard of that before. I haven't either. And so at the time for me, just another thing about the expectations, you know, like trying to follow my plans. I just didn't know what was – I was just trying to understand. I was like, God, like why? Just another, another loophole, you know what I mean? Another thing that I have to work through now. Yeah. And so that, at that point, I tried to sit in and just kind of think, you know, what well, am I dropping out of college right now and going? Or am I going to stay? I didn't really know. 
And honestly, when I saw that date, I was like, you know what? This is inspired. I'm going this date. Like, why else would they have given me a premature date? You know, right. I have to go then. And so I got my papers ready to get my visa and everything. I just submitted it without like on a whim, just like, all right, I don't know how I'm going to work out this whole dropping out of college thing, uh-huh. but I'm going to go March 15th. And then after talking to my parents more about it, we kind of like mutually decided and they kind of convinced me a little bit. It'd be better just for me to finish out this semester. Okay. We already paid for it. We had, I was already like in my classes enrolled and everything. I was going to extend a transfer, ask for permission, and then I'd go right after school again. Um, it'd only be a few days afterwards, just like how I originally planned. Uh-huh. And so... I think this is probably around mid-March when I should have, or when I got my original assignment, COVID-19 happened. Like right, right when then. that's, wow. right, Yeah, right when it yeah. happened. And I have to admit that I was so frustrated because I called, the first thing I did when, once COVID, like once school was canceled is I called the MTC uh-huh. and I said, what's happening? My mission call. Like, I'm ready to go. Like, I should be there right now. Like, what's happening? And a lot of people hadn't been assigned yet because of how freshman year works. Most people leave a little bit afterward. You're like July, June, July. And I was supposed to leave a few days after the semester ended. So I didn't know anybody else that was really in the same situation. So I didn't really know what I was supposed to do, if I was supposed to go on the mission, if I had to, like, not go on the mission. And the response was always the same, like, oh, we don't know. And I kept asking, do I have my visa to Brazil? And they said, no, you don't. Because getting a visa to other countries, but especially Brazil, is really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times that can – many missionaries can't make it down there because the visa, especially, specifically to Brazil, is so tricky to get. And so in my mind, I was like, well, at this point, COVID's happening. I have no idea when the border is going to open. Once it opens, then they have to start processing my visa, which is probably going to be in, like, insane, considering so many people are trying to go to Brazil right. outside of just missionaries as well, just in the world after COVID. So I just accepted at that point, I'm not going to Brazil. I don't know what's going to happen, wow. but I'm not going to go down. And there's kind of also a little bit of lack of faith on my part, because there are a few moments, I think, where I spe- received specific revelation where I felt like I'd go down. But I didn't really believe I would. That makes sense. Yeah. Again, the hope, the hope of it, and then it doesn't work out. It can be painful too. So Yeah. Especially because it was like, you know, the second or third time that plans of my mission had been changed. You know what I mean? Just right. over and over again. And in my mind, it was very selfish thinking. But I was like, which guy has wanted to go on a mission more but has, like, not been able to, you know? Because I really wanted to, genuinely. Yeah. Um, and so time passed. I went to the MTC through, um, through Brazil online. Uh-huh. My district was only me another guy, another girl. Because at the time, there weren't missionaries really going out because it was like three days after the semester ended, right? Wow. So you, you still did the MTC right after the semester? Yeah. Okay. So and I was, I was actually the first or second group of Americans to do the online MTC through Brazil. So it was kind wow. of disorganized because they still didn't really know what was going on because it was very new, you know? Hey, I did it in August and it was still dis- disorganized. So Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> it, it was crazy. Like it was, I, most of the day I just kind of sat around like and class was canceled like two times a week. Wow. Just like I'd wake up in the morning and even like, okay, class is canceled, you know, because I couldn't find a teacher for it. Wow. And so, and I didn't really know at that point, I didn't really know if we, I'd get reassigned or not. I hadn't really heard too much of that. And then finally, I did get my reassignment to Austin, Texas. I'd get released. I'd have to go back. And this entire time, I didn't study Portuguese because I'd not think I'd make it down. I it kind of honestly it just made me a little bit sad. I was just kind of like, I'd get frustrated. I'm like, why am I going to study this when there's going to be no benefit you know, in the long run? Right. And so we'll fast forward a little bit. So I, you know, I go to Texas. Um, I mean, very similar to a lot of missionaries, logged down for most of it, stuck in the house. Mm-hmm. And so I was going along just kind of month by, oh, sorry. When, when did you actually get to Texas? So I got to Texas. When was that? I think June. 
Okay. So you had, you had like a month or two. Yeah, I had about a month and a half. I, I had a transfer after I got out, okay. just about like six weeks. Okay. So I think it was June I got down. And kind of just funny, funny thing. I mean, it all, honestly felt a bit sort of nice too because I went to Austin, Texas. And my group, that when we arrived in the plane, which there were a couple of us just reassigned from all over the place. Right. We were the day that the Austin, Texas mission was created because it was split from uh, oh, wow. Texas. Uh, I can't remember which ones. But two other Texas missions, they kind of like – Change the boundaries and Austin, Texas was created. Okay. So it was the first day of my mission president, brand new mission. And so we kind of got there and it was kind of like everybody's like, what's going on? You know what I mean? Like COVID, reassignment, new mission. So everybody was a little bit confused, but it all worked out in the end. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. And so I'm there for a few months. Honestly, pretty tough. I think we could all kind of feel that beginning days of lockdown, just kind of like stuck in the house, couldn't really do a whole lot. Yeah. Um, I tried to make the best out of it, but still in my head, like every day, I just thought about, you know, like, I could have been in Brazil like a year and a half ago. I mean, I would have had to come home early mm-hmm. if I had gone down on my original day after senior year, but still, I was like, I could have had, you know, seven months down there, eight months down there if I had gone when I originally had my assignment. And I kind of thought, you know, I didn't regret necessarily having worked through the things, but I was kind of like, well, what if I had just gone down? You know what I mean? Yeah. I could have had that experience. Yeah. Um, and this kind of just consumed me for a little bit. And I kind of had to come to terms with that over time, just kind of really accept, you know, the fact that like, it didn't, it doesn't matter where I serve, like, I am where I need to be even though I had been called there for so long. Um, And then one day everything kind of changed. And I still remember the day when um, I got a phone call completely randomly from um, my mission president. And nobody at this point had been going down to South America or Brazil. It was still Mm -hmm. completely locked down. So I didn't really expect things to open up. And I got a call. And as my mission president said, Jed, I have news for you. You're going to be the first American to go down to Brazil. Me and two other guys had somehow, they had chosen who would go down at first, who had visas. And apparently I was one of the three guys that got chosen because they were trying to figure out if they could send missionaries down there. And so at that moment, just kind of like a lot of worlds collided. I don't know. And it was just like so powerful to me because like Heavenly Father like really knew me. Like I didn't need to be the first one down to Brazil. That really isn't a big deal. Uh But it kind of felt like to me it was like just some way that God showed his mercy after the whole thing. Like he was aware of the entire process from my senior year or I guess you could say from the fire till then he knew how it all play out and prepared a way that I could not just be something that made down to Brazil, but be the first. And to me, that was just significant to me because it just showed me how much Heavenly Father cares about me individually. That is so cool. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. Like, not only was the first call to Brazil, second call to Brazil, but then you were literally the first person to get to Brazil. You're obviously needed in Brazil. Yeah. <laughs> I think. So. so it was very powerful to me. And even maybe less than – they like needed me down there. I think I need that experience to teach me a lot about, yeah. you know, really having faith in God. Cause I, I didn't believe that that was possible and I should have, you know I mean? I should have yeah. believed that there would have been a way for it to happen. And I still don't understand how that happened. And then it kind of, everything came together when I was f- figuring out getting down there. Cause I was gonna leave two weeks after I got that call. Uh, the other two guys that were coming down with me, I guess it was three guys. Yeah. Sorry, three guys were coming down with me. Mm-hmm. Um, they had all already been to Brazil before. So they had oh. their visas. Nobody else. I mean, if you don't have your visa, you can't get down. And I didn't have a visa. And so when I was originally applying for stuff, everybody was super confused. They thought I had already been down to Brazil. Like everybody through the MTC, like, Do you, does he have this paperwork? Does he have this paperwork that should have gone down there in Brazil? My mentor was like, no, he's never been down there. Like, what? Like, how has he never been down to Brazil? Like, only people, like, these four guys are going down. They've all been to Brazil before. How can, how can he not have gone to Brazil? Right. And then what happened was finally, after like figuring everything out, all the dots connected, when I had re-received my mission call, my freshman year of college, before COVID even existed, 
I had gotten my date prematurely by about two months, right? Uh-huh. And so I submitted my visa paperwork before because I didn't really know when I would make it down. Oh. And so because of that, I got a visa right before COVID happened. Wow. And so I was the only person that had never been down to Brazil that had a visa because I had been called early, even though I was supposed to leave later. Oh, that is so cool. Like that is, so, I just got the chills. Like that is awesome. Like that shows mm-hmm. God's like, like he knows, he knew that yeah. would happen. Like that's awesome. And this is before COVID was even on the news. When right. I, when I had gotten that reassignment, when I, when I was expecting to go at the end of April and I got my call in March at the time, I had no idea why that happened, you know? And then you fast forward almost, you know, seven, eight months later, almost a year actually. And all, all, you know, the whole picture kind of came together. And, you know, Heavenly Father really had been preparing a process for me to get down there over the years. Wow. So. Wow. Dang, I have so many thoughts to say right now. Um, I mean, Jared, thank you for being so open, you know, about that process. Mm-hmm. I was kind of in a little bit of a similar way, actually. I came to BYU not planning to go on a mission. Um, and it wasn't until December, end of December, freshman year, that I decided that it was something I needed to do. And I felt that really strongly. That was a really powerful experience for me. And then I was really frustrated when it was like, what can I serve now? I was originally yeah. trying to go out in, like at the end of April as well. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get my call to the end of August. Yeah. And it was just, there was so much. But I feel like, I don't know if it was the same for you. It sound, I mean, it sounds like it. When you finally get there, you know, I'm supposed to be here. Like there has been, I mean, so much has happened to get me here to this point. It's time to go. I mean, for you, clearly Brazil was something that you needed to experience. People you needed to touch, people needed to touch you. Yeah. Tell us what some of those experiences were once you got there. Definitely, yeah. And I think, honestly, an overarching theme, I think, that the mission taught me, including with that experience, is just to have faith in Jesus Christ. Even though it's such a simple gospel principle, Uh really to fully apply it in our lives is really, really hard. You know, it kind of reminds me of what what Paul said in Thessalonians when he says that we need to work we need to perfect our faith. You know, have you yet per- perfected your faith? And I think that word, like, m- to perfect your faith, it's a lifetime process. It's not something as easy as it sounds like when you learn in primary. You know, it takes a lot of work and a lot of experiences. And just um, to have that pure trust in the Lord over everything is, is hard to have. And so each one of my experiences and a lot of the moments that happened in my mission, I feel like were teaching me specifically that principle. And... Um, for that reason, Brazil is so significant to me. I had some amazing companions when I was down there. I didn't have a single American companion. They're all Brazilian because I was one of the only Americans down for most of the mission. Right. Um, and I feel so blessed to have the comps I had. Like, they honestly pushed me harder than I pushed them. Maybe, maybe I helped them wake up more on time or help them, like, <laughs> work a little bit harder at some point. It's just kind of the American culture. But down there, they have so much faith. And that's really what I needed. And I kind of remember the first experience I had with faith was the first month I was down there in Brazil. I was with my first companion, Elder Beraldo. And the man was, is the most social man still this day I've ever met. Just always so laughing. Social? Yeah. <laughs> always talking to everybody, laughing, just having a good time uh-huh. all the time. And to me, it was a little bit exhausting because I was just like, oh my gosh. Like, first of all, I don't know how to speak the language. But also, like, I've never been this, like, engaged talking to people before. Uh-huh. So it really, it, it pushed me to be way more social and everything. So it was a good experience. That's but at so the cool. time, I was really annoyed. And the man just had so much faith. And we had some really specific mission goals or mission. Every mission is a bit different, but we had like monthly baptism goals. Okay. And I think coming from the U.S., there's kind of like some other cultural things. To me, that was kind of wrong. I don't know why. I just was like, oh, like why put number on baptism? You know what I mean? Right. And 
uh, at the time when when I got down there to Brazil, like the month goal was like three baptisms a month. Like consistently, it's like all right, you always gotta have three baptisms, right? As it, you mean the companionship goal? Was yeah, the companionship goal wow, was three okay. baptisms. And so like for me, like coming from the mission that I was at, I was like, what? How's that possible? You know, sure, <laughs> I didn't really yeah. know. I had no idea how it was possible. And when I was there that first month, I mean, I, I've never worked hard in my entire life. I thought I worked hard before, but Elder Bedaldo worked me to death. Like every single day we got like all day talking to every single person, doing every single thing possible. You know, he'd skip out like some of the lunch break and everything. Like he just worked all day, workaholic, 9 a.m. to, you know, 9.31 p.m. as close as he could, you know, right. to the line. <laughs> oh, man. And I remember at one point we had been working so hard. We had a couple of really good families that are progressing and it's just, nothing was kind of working out towards the end of the month. And one day he looked at me, he's like, all right, Elder McKay, we need a miracle. He's like, we have to have these three baptisms. We've worked so hard. We like, we deserve it. I remember thinking, I was like, okay, like, awesome. But like, sometimes it's not the Lord's will. You know, not everybody sure. needs to get baptized, which is true. Yeah. But um, he told me, he said, well, I know that the Lord can prepare away. We're not going to convince anybody to be baptized, but the Lord can convince somebody. And I didn't there know it was go. possible. You know what I mean? I was yeah. like, all right, you go. You know what I mean? <laughs> and he's like, so what we have to do, he's like, I do this on only very rare occasions. We need a miracle. We have to have a two-day fast. And I was like, what? I, I mean, I still probably at that point hadn't fasted more for lo- than like, like I've probably never actually done a full 24 hours at sure. that point. You know what I mean? <laughs> and not only that, I mean, we're in the Amazon. So it's, I mean, so hot, like sweating 24-7. Yeah. You, you, need, you need to drink water. And he, he was going to do the full 40 hours, no food, no water. Oh, my gosh. And I know how that was, like, humanly possible, you know? Yeah. And I told him straight up, I was like, I'm not going to do that. Like, I don't want to kill myself. I, like, I'm an idiot. And I actually think there are recommendations not to do that. I'm not so. saying right now <laughs> that you should do that. But this is just illustrating the story, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I remember that day he just knelt down and he started to fast by himself. I just sat in the room. I wouldn't do it with him. And so he started this two-day fast completely by himself, still worked just as hard as before, didn't slow down, actually was working probably even harder that he wasn't eating and drinking water. And I remember after the two days ended, we got back to the house, he ended his fast, he said, Elder McKay, I need you to see something. And so he grabs the phone and he opens it. And one of the families we had talked about like two or three, two weeks before that had kind of said they weren't that interested. I um, was a mom and two daughters. So watch this. And he gives him a call. He says, like, this is Elder Bedaldo. Um, I was just praying and I had a feeling that I needed to talk to you guys. This Sunday, we're having a baptism. We want to invite your family to be baptized this Sunday. Do you accept to be baptized? And she said yes on the phone for her two daughters. And that Sunday was the last Sunday of the month, mm-hmm. and we had the three baptisms that he had fasted for. And I was just kind of like, wow, so that works. You know what I mean? Like, if you really have that much faith, the Lord can prepare things. It's not the sense of, like, the Lord's, like, changing or turning people, like, completely doing something against their will. But when we had talked to this family, they had experiences while we weren't teaching them. Mm-hmm where they had been prepared to actually accept being baptized at that time. And I firmly believe that it was because of the, the faith that Bedaldo had. I mean, obviously the fast helped, but I think even more than just the fast itself doing two days, because you don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. I just think that faith that he had willingly to do that was enough to the Lord. And so at that point, it had been kind of like, for me, it's kind of a habit. Whenever I needed a huge miracle in the mission, me and my comps would do two-day fasts no without way. food and without water. And every single time, a miracle happened every single time. And I mean, yeah, part of it was the fast itself, a, a large part, but well, behind it was the faith. Is, yeah, fast is basically like showing, it's kind of a demonstration. Yeah, a, of a demonstration almost, of your right. faith, you know what I mean? And so it was just a very powerful experience. And again, I'm not saying you need to do that to receive miracles or blessings, but for whatever reason, I think that's just kind of like the extra step that we needed. And so it was that was probably one of my first big experiences with faith when kind of my mentality about it shifted. It's like, you know, the Lord, has 
he really has the power to move mountains, literal mountains, you know, obviously in our spiritual life as well, but mm-hmm. he can provide miracles if we need them. That's powerful. That's such a powerful miracle. The power of fasting too. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Did you have any other favorite miracles or experiences in Brazil specifically? Maybe even, mm-hmm. you know, for me, I can point to probably some specific experiences that changed my testimony. I mean, like that, like that yeah. fasting experience that kind of changed your perspective on faith and fasting. Are there any other ones that come to mind that kind of, um, maybe are the first ones, or when you think back on life-changing mission experiences, they're the ones that come to mind? Yeah. I think there's one other one. Um, and I think this kind of just teaches the principle of how Heavenly Father is aware of everybody, um, every one of his sons and daughters. Um, it was kind of, kind of just really random. But so in my mission in Beiling, um, you think that the Amazon River is kind of small, but it's actually huge, especially at the mouth of the Amazon where I served, where it goes into the ocean. Mm-hmm. There's tons of islands. So a lot of the areas oh, wow. I served in were like islands in the Amazon. So we take boats into them and be there. There's like full islands. Yeah, full saying. islands. Oh, the I biggest no like inland island in the world, it's huge, is called Marajon. It's in Pará, Brazil. Wow. And the church still isn't there. Um, there are some members that have like moved out there. But it's a very remote island in the middle of the Amazon that's massive. It's pr- probably about four hours by boat, by like speedboat from Beiling to this island, Marajó. And... Um, a member had just recently been baptized over there. She had filled out like one of those, uh, I'm thinking in Portuguese, what's the word? Just like a form through Facebook. Oh, like to be a referral? Yeah. Refer and yourself. not all of them have phones out there and stuff, but she did and mm. she found it, I guess. And she was crazy elect. Like she had had visions and stuff. And so she'd been baptized a few weeks before. And we found out that some other members that had been inactive um, had moved over there. And so there were enough people there to create a group and start a church out there on this island of Marajó. And so the mission president had me and my companion at the time. Um, we, he sent us over there to kind of try to find everybody. We had, all, we had a lot of the addresses, um, but it's very remote. It's really hard to find all these people because they're not really specific addresses to go find everybody and create this, this group. And so we were there for a week, um, just kind of living just like in just very random places. And I mean, we, know, we only knew that one member there that had been baptized a, few, a little while before, but we know any of the other members that we had no contact except just their address somewhere on the island. And so we kind of went every single day just as hard as we could to find all these members. And we had brought in a bunch of material out, and we, like, left it. at this lady. Her name was uh, Elisandra. We left it at her house so the, the group could kind of be housed there for the meantime. Okay. And at one point, we were walking down the street. You know, it's <laughs> all, all dirt roads and a lot of houses, literally in the middle of nowhere. Like, I can't tell you how in the middle of nowhere this is. You know what I mean? And a car drives by us. And kind of like bumping, you know, on, on all the dirt and everything and just, you know, trees and everything everywhere. And we're just sweating. We're kind of just, we're, we've been walking so much already trying to find everybody. And they say, elders, what are you guys doing here? And we're like, wait, how do people know who, who we are? You know, most people that we had seen there were like staring at us the whole time because they'd never seen missionaries in their entire life. Wow. I mean, the church had never been there before. And like, yeah, we're here looking for like some members that had moved here a long time ago. And they said, we're members and we're from Manaus. And which is another city, actually really far away, but also in the Amazon. Uh-huh. Um, and they're like, come hop in the car. We'll drive you to where you need to go. And so we were talking to them and they're not from Marajó, but they have family that's from there. And so okay. they were there visiting family because um, Manaus is actually a really big city. It's really developed. Uh-huh. And so there's like very random for them to be here too. So like both of us were like confused. Why are like, why are we here in Marajó, like this island in the middle of nowhere? Uh-huh. And they're just like shocked that they were missionaries. Like, we can't believe they're missionaries here on this island. You know what I mean? And... So later that night, we invited them over to come and have a devotional with um, 
with Alessandra, the new member, uh-huh. um, like a little FHE. And so they'd come over. We had an awesome devotional. And then as we were leaving, the mom pulled us to the side. And right before she left, she said, elders, and she was, she was crying at this point. She was in tears. She said, I want you to know that you guys were answered my prayers. Um, I, me and my family, we haven't been very active for the last year. Uh, I've been drinking. We've been partying. We haven't been to church in, in a really long time. But a year ago today, because this was actually, this was New Year's when this happened. Okay. Sorry, that, that clarifies a little more. She said, <laughs> last New Year's, I had made a promise to Heavenly Father I prayed. And I said that if he helped my daughter get into a better school, um, that I would give up drinking. And when I said that prayer, a few days later, she was able to get into mid-this, mid-this like prestigious school, I guess. That's uh-huh. hard to get into. And so she said, for that year, I haven't drank in the last year. But now she's in the school. And now that we're on vacation everything we're over here we're uh for new year's visiting family i decided that i was done i had already had what i needed and i don't need to keep this i don't know i don't need to keep this commitment up anymore Mm -hmm. and so she said that they were in the car driving and she started to say a prayer and she said heavenly father if there's any reason i should actually get more involved in the church if i should keep up with this goal i have of getting closer to you and not drinking and everything show me a sign right now and if you do that I will commit my rest of my life to serving thee. And as she looked up, there we were in the middle of Marajo on this island. And that's when they found us to pick us up. And right they're just moment. two missionaries just walking in the middle of this random island in the middle of Amazon. Church doesn't exist. And missionaries have never been there before. And we were there right when she said that prayer. You wow. know, and so she committed to cha- like helping her family get reactivated in the church after that moment after she saw us. And so it was just like, it was just super cool to see, you know, and, and we didn't necessarily weren't able to create the group we weren't successful at finding everybody. It was kind of impossible, mm-hmm. but it's just kind of crazy that Heavenly Father, you know, I feel like we were sent there at that moment for that specific reason, for that one person who needed that. You know what I mean? So Heavenly Father is just so mindful of what we need before we even realize that we need it. So Powerful. Yeah, yeah. that's such a cool story. Yeah, th- experience. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Wow, I love the theme that you've, I mean, you mentioned a few times, perfecting your faith. And like mm-hmm. you see how, I mean, you have experiences like that where you know it strengthens your faith of, God is literally looking out for these specific people, even if they're on vacation um, or fast and strengthen your faith, sacrifice for, the, for God, and he'll help you. How have you seen that? Um, I know we didn't talk about this as, as someone to be prepared for, but how have you seen that coming back? Like, how do you think, you know, post-mission, Jared and other missionaries can continue to perfect their faith and work on that, even if they're mm-hmm. not, you know, in that same calling? Yeah. I think it's really hard, honestly. I've noticed it's really hard getting back because I think um, in general, I think that us as Americans, and especially here at BYU, we, uh, many of us come from um, good situations. We have good families. Right. And obviously this doesn't apply to everybody, but at least in my situation, I feel like I've had a very blessed life. And I think sometimes we get so used to that that we lose that need for God and we lose that faith. And honestly, we have a lot of pride that creeps into us. I have even noticed it's getting back how much more prideful I've gotten. And not necessarily like an overarching like way, but it's just very hard here to not have pride. And the best way to have faith is to honestly forget about yourself mm-hmm. and live trying to serve others around you and trying to serve the Lord. One of my favorite quotes that comes from uh, where I serve my mission, it's kind of a quote that they have there, is the, the greatest service you can do to somebody else is to be kind. And it's not really necessarily a directionization of to be kind, but more to give somebody attention. And so 
the greatest service you can do for somebody else is to give them attention. Mm. I think that's just a really cool way to look at service. You know what I mean? Like a lot of times we think about service, about going and like mowing the lawn or going and delivering cookies to, you know, whoever we're ministering. But I think the most effective way we can serve almost every moment of the day is whenever we see anybody, whether or not we know them, is giving them genuine attention. And I think that is something that keeps us being more humble as we start to look at every person that way. And I think it's hard to keep that faith up to that level. But I think if we always, just everybody that's always around us, we do our best to think more about them than think about ourselves. I think that is a way that we can keep having that faith in Jesus Christ. Because we know that he would do the same thing if he was here. And so it's hard, honestly. It's been hard for me. I have to always remind myself. And that's where the process of perfecting faith is. Mm -hmm. I think every single day, you know, that's why you have to have a good routine, a good habit where you can remind yourself, you know, what am I going to do today? Um, Because if you don't think about it, honestly, you you won't be able to do it. And so you have to have a good, a good routine, a good, good habits that you can always check up on. Yeah. I, know, I love that so much of, the, especially the attention. Mm-hmm. This morning I was in a lecture with Ryan Smith. He's with the founder of Qualtrics. He sold it for $8 billion a few years ago. Owns the jazz. Very successful. Mm-hmm. And there was a Q&A after and someone raised their hand and said, you know, now you have so much money, so much capability to do good in the world. How do you measure that? Like, how do you measure the good that you're doing? And it was super interesting. His answer was like, attention. Uh, that wasn't the exact word he used. It, mm-hmm. it was something like that. Um, and he said, look, let's say I have a neighbor, who, someone in the ward is moving. I mean, I could pay for movers. I mean, it wouldn't for, it'd be nothing, right? Yeah. But is that really serving him or is going to give my time and attention, yeah. helping him move, serving him? And he said, I'd go and help him, even though I could pay for it to be solved and it would cost me nothing. I thought it was super interesting that like doing good, not um, it's not just like the amount, um, but it's like the intent, the attention you're giving someone. Yeah, exactly. And I think that it's something that we all need to to work on. I think all of us can do better at that, especially here. I think that's something I think it was very it came very naturally to all my Brazilian companions, all the Brazilians I met there just culturally. But I think here in the U.S. is something we need to focus on more and work on more because it doesn't come naturally because our culture isn't doesn't really reflect those virtues as much as other ones. Yeah. Not that it's good or bad necessarily, but I think it is an important one to have. And so, um, and really we need, we need to have that faith in Jesus Christ because we do need miracles. I mean, we're all in college. We need help. Oh, you know? we need miracles. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I think the more we work on that, I think the more that we'll be able to see the hand of God in our lives. Yeah. Uh, challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. Yeah. I got to work on it too. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jared, one last question for you. Over the course of your mission, how did your testimony of Jesus Christ and his gospel change? Mm-hmm. I feel like I came to know the Savior much more personally. I think that he became less of, obviously, he is our God. And, you know, we do view him in that very respectful way. But I think it became of a much more personal relationship and um, almost friendship. I feel like I know him personally, even though I've never met him before. And none of us have ever seen him before. But I think that that feeling that we can have as we come closer to him is something that is very powerful to have because you always know that no matter where you are or what you need, that he is conscious of your feelings and what you need at that moment. And so I just feel a lot, I feel much more grateful for the Savior and the atonement in my life. I really understand how it works because I've seen it in other people's lives and in my own life over the course of the two years. You know, I think one of the biggest miracles that can happen is seeing somebody change. And I'm a completely different person now than I was before my mission. And that's something I know that couldn't have happened on my own. I needed somebody else to facilitate that and help me change. And so obviously we can change for the worse, but if we're focusing on the Savior in Jesus Christ, we can always change for the better as long as we're making that effort 
And so I'm just very grateful to Savior. And I think the biggest change with my testimony on Jesus Christ is knowing that he truly loves me and having that closeness with him. That's powerful. I love that. I love Jesus does change us. I love mm. that. That's such a, did you come up with that on the spot? I mean, I probably read it somewhere. You know? <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. yeah, You can always change for the worse, but if you focus on Christ, you change for the better. Mm-hmm. That We need to frame that up with that <laughs> or something. Thanks, man. Well, Jared, thank you so much for coming on today um, and sharing your stories and being so open. Um, super powerful. Um, and if anyone from here wants to get in contact with you, where should they go? Social media or what's best? Um, honestly, <laughs> I don't have Instagram. I have Facebook. I have a missionary Facebook still. So if you look at my name, Jared McKay, M-A-C-K-A-Y, feel free to reach out. I'm here to answer any questions. If you're struggling with anything, if you have a similar experience with a mission call um, and need some advice, I'd be more than happy to help because um, it can be hard, I know, sometimes. But always it's best to work out what you need to before going. Awesome. Well, Jared, thanks again. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it.